This morning, we begin a journey um, through the parables of Jesus Christ. Um, We're going to start this morning, actually, where we jumped off of last week in Matthew 13. Uh, Matthew 13 um, talks about what are known as the kingdom parables. Um, They are parables. Again, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's very hard to know what is the chronology of each of the parables. So uh, what I'm doing is I'm kind of grouping them in groups. And and this morning, what we're going to do for the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at um, eight of the kingdom parables. Um, These parables uh, were early in the ministry of Jesus, and they all occurred um, around the Sea of Galilee. So I'm kind of looking at at where they occurred is kind of grouping them together that way and and about the time of Christ. So so just so you have it in your head, um, here's a picture of Israel. The Sea of Galilee is that little round circle lake thing up near the top, all right? Uh, this is up, this is close to where Nazareth, where Jesus was born, is up in this area. So the parables that we're going to be talking about occur, the kingdom parables occur up in that area. Now, this is a picture of kind of what that area looks like. That's the Sea of Galilee you see in the, in the back there. Um, here's another picture to kind of give you an, an, an idea of the, the land. Um, this morning, and actually for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, sowing. Um, here is a typical idea of how they sowed uh, seed. Um, here's a little bit more modern idea of it uh, to give you an idea of, of just how they would spread seed for wheat and those kinds of things. So uh, not a lot of big machines or things like that. So uh, as we get into it, to kind of keep that in mind, all right? Now, before we get started... There's a couple of things that you need to know. When you talk about the kingdom parables, there are eight of them. All of them begin with the idea of the kingdom of heaven is like, with the exception of two. The first one that we're going to look at this morning and the last one. All of the others have that little phrase at the beginning of them, the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, the one that we're looking at this morning is found in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So whenever you see one of the parables that's mentioned in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels, uh, whenever you see them mentioned in those three gospels, um, that was something that all of the disciples took note of. So again, we talked about the idea a couple of weeks ago that we don't have any in the, in the gospel of John. So again, um, when we look at a parable, so most of the, the largest amount of this parable is mentioned in, in Mark chapter 13. And uh, this is a unique parable because Jesus actually tells us the parable and then tells us what it means. So that kind of lays some groundwork as as we go for all of it. Um, Here's what you need to know, though. You need to know that um, when Matthew is writing, Matthew is writing to the Jew. And so in the book of Matthew, he presents Jesus as king. So this idea of king, kingdom, um, has a big emphasis when we deal with a particular anything that Matthew writes about. So uh, when we talk about the kingdom parable here in Matthew chapter 13, you need to understand that the Jews see the kingdom of God differently than we do. Okay, In the Jewish mind, the Jews believe there is one coming of Messiah. So they believe that Elijah comes first, then the Messiah would show up, and then the kingdom would start. That was the mindset of the Jew, and still is even to this day. As Christians, we see it a little differently. 
we see um, the principle of Elijah coming. In, in Matthew 11, Jesus actually says John the Baptist is Elijah. And then Jesus coming, we see him coming as our Savior. And then the kingdom, we would look at, some people look at it as kind of the church, as kind of that kind of kingdom. But we believe there's another coming of Jesus in which he doesn't come as a baby or a Savior. He comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. So we see it, and Revelation talks about Elijah coming at that point too, and Elijah and Moses and, and that kind of thing. So as a Christian, when we think of the kingdom, we think of the kingdom coming at the end. The Jews who are hearing this are thinking of the kingdom coming right now. All right. So what Jesus has to do is he has to explain what this kingdom is, what it's like. So he uses these parables to talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. For our purposes, when we talk about the kingdom, here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to understand how I'm looking at it when we talk about the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom. I'm talking about the idea of heaven as you and I would know heaven where God dwells right now. Okay? So there's a kingdom that is to come for those of us who are here on this earth. And that's when we, uh, we put our faith and trust in Christ here. We die, we enter the kingdom of heaven with Jesus for all of eternity. Okay? There's that kingdom. There's also this idea in the New Testament that when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become citizens of heaven. Now. So there is also in this idea of kingdom of heaven, this idea of, since my citizenship is in heaven, but I live here, I need to reflect while I am here principles of that kingdom. Does that make sense? So the goal is, it's just like if I go into another country, I'm a United States citizen, I represent the United States, even though I'm in a foreign country. Does that make sense? Okay. So the idea is, I think when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about two ideas. We're talking about an idea of that which is to come, and yet we're also talking about the idea of that which I need to do while I'm here, so that other people see the kingdom of heaven, or as, as Paul said in Colossians, to the Colossian people, um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's this idea that I want to act in such a way that it reflects the principles of the kingdom that I'm going to one day. That makes sense? Okay. So with that in mind, let's jump into the parable, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we talked about it, we actually read this last week, but I'm going to jump on to the part where he explains it. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many, many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched because they were withered and they, they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other fell on good grounds where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. By the way, in this culture, 10 or 20 was considered awesome. So he's using hyperbole here. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? We talked about this last week. It was both to conceal and to reveal. And so here's what he says. <clears throat> he explains that, and then he gets to the verse 19. Listen then. To what the parable of the sower means. 
Jesus says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good ground, on good soil, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So basically what Jesus does when he gets to this parable of the sower is he's explaining how someone gets into the kingdom of God. He's laying out the groundwork to say, These are the, this is how someone gets in the kingdom of God. This is who belongs into the kingdom of God. It's interesting when you look at it, because what he does is he basically lays it out by the, the difference is how they respond to the word of God. Um, here's what you need to notice in the passage. The sower is the same person sowing all of the seed. In this case, I believe it's Jesus, but the idea is the sower is the same. The seed is the same. It's not different seeds sown in different places. The seed's absolutely the same. So the seed doesn't change, the sower doesn't change, but what changes? Where it falls. The ground is the thing that's different. And Jesus explains the ground, and he says, so the first part of it, he talks about the, the path or the wayside. He said, some of it falls there. Um, basically, this is a, a deal where it's going to land on top of the ground, but it, it, the ground's too hard. It's, it's like cement. It doesn't go anywhere. And he said, it's interesting because depending on which, which, um, version you look at, one of the, uh, this version particularly says the bird comes and snatches it away. Um, in this culture, sometimes a bird was associated with Satan. Um, other passages refer to it as Satan snatches it away. The idea is that that seed hits that ground and it stays there and nothing happens with it. It doesn't do anything. He then talks about a second kind of, of ground where the seed hits it and the seed starts to take root. But the problem with, with that is that um, it really doesn't take any decent root at all. So all of a sudden it just withers away. Um. It just goes. It just doesn't. I see this often as an emotional response, where, where, where people make an emotional response to the gospel, and yet there's nothing that really takes any root to it. The third type of person, it's interesting, because the third type of soil that he talks about here is one where it takes root and it starts to grow. But he's very careful to talk about what what keeps it from growing, the deceitfulness of sin, the, the riches, the cares of this world. What happens is it gets all crowded out to the point that it can't produce any fruit. It doesn't produce any fruit. And eventually it just withers away. The last type is the type that lands on ground and it takes root and it produces something. Um. There is, there is a result of it taking root. 
now, there's a lot of debate on this, but let me just, I'm going to throw it out there so that everybody knows. In this passage, there's only one of the four groups that's part of the kingdom of God. There's only one. You could say in some cases the others had a profession of faith. They took a little bit of a root, but they didn't possess it. You know, a lot of people look at this passage and they say, well, see, this teaches that you can lose your salvation. I don't think it teaches you can lose salvation. I think it teaches you never had it in the first place. And that's scary when you think about it. Because what Jesus is talking about, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like someone who when they hear the Word of God, they respond to the Word of God, it takes root into their life, they grow up, they mature, they start changing and producing something out of their life that reflects the kingdom of God. That's his part. Here's what I'd say to those of you who are farmers. Do you count what goes into the bin, or do you count what looked good that was supposed to go into the bin? Now, I didn't ask this of fishermen because I know the answer that way. Okay? You know, the fish that got away. No, no, no. You know, as a farmer, you don't count it. You know, it's like Josh and I when we're blowing glass. The rule that we have is, I don't care how good it looks, it, you don't have a piece until it comes out of the kiln the next day. There's a lot that can happen between then and then. And then. We got in the shop the first time this week, first time this year, breaking in a new annealer. We didn't have our communication right. Josh had made this gorgeous little glass, uh, drinking glass. I had it, walked up the kill, and he opened the other door that I wasn't planning on, and I jumped back, and it hit the floor, and it's all pieces everywhere, you know? And it was his fault, because he didn't communicate <laughs> that we were opening the left door, not the right door, you know? So anyway, but I mean, no, seriously. It's one of those things where, no, we didn't count it. You don't count it until it's done. Same way Jesus says, look, I'm not going to count the stuff that springs up or the other stuff. I'm going to count what produces fruit at the end. And when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you want to know who's part of the kingdom? The people that are producing the fruit. And that, I mean, that's a staggering idea for us as, as we wrestle with it. But Jesus is trying to explain to these people because, again, there's all kinds of frustrations that are going to come with them when Jesus leaves in a year and they have to take the gospel forward. So Jesus is trying to explain to them how this thing's going to work. Um, so as we look at these parables, there's all kinds of applications for us, all right? And that's where we want to get to. Um, I think there's an incredible application for um, people who don't want to follow Christ or have chosen not to follow Christ. Uh, I, I see all kinds of responses to the gospel. I see some people who just like don't have time for it, don't want to do the God thing, God thing's not for me. They're, they're like that, that, that hard path kind of ground. I see other people, oh yeah, that sounds great, that sounds great, that sounds great. I want to I I become a Christian and trust Christ. And then it's all excited. And then two weeks later, their life is just like it always used to be. I see some people who they get, they get, they, they, they're, they're, they're like that third group where, you know what, it, it takes a little bit of root and they start to do some really, really great things and then life comes along and, 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 and this becomes more important than God and then God gets pushed off to the side and side and side and now their life is all the way back to all of this and there's nothing to do with God. 
parable of the sower, they're not part of the kingdom. <laughs> Whoa! I'm, I'm telling you what he said. You see, you know who's part of the kingdom? People who professed him and possess it, and there's some fruit. There's something that comes out of their life. And this is what I would say. Your life needs to be different than it was six months, a year, two years, five years, ten years ago. There needs to be fruit. Something that shows and reflects the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. That's who's part of my kingdom. That's who's part of this thing. And so Jesus talks about this very, very explicitly as he, as he deals with the disciples. So, you know, for some of you who you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ, and you just decided you don't want anything to do with it, you need to understand, well, you don't understand. You know, I was like baptized as a kid or confirmed or I went through this. Or, stop. Look at what Jesus puts as a test. That's sobering for us. Um, I, I think the passage has, again, as remember what we talked about last week when we talked about these parables are written for Christians. So I think there's great implications for us as, much, as believers today. Um, here's the first thing. Um, you're responsible and I'm responsible to sow the word of God in the lives of people. This is just an assumption right off the bat. But the sower sows the word of God. The sower is not, it, 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 and, and by the way, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever put down seed. I had an area that I re-landscaped last year, and so I had to put down seed. Uh, and, and I went in, and I figured out how much, and then I multiplied it times three and threw it down. Why? Because I wanted to make sure I had grass there. So I sowed a lot. A lot. That's the idea here. And the sower goes out to see. Now, here's what's interesting. Is the sower responsible for what happens to the seed? In this story, is the sower responsible? No. The responsibility of the sower was to sow. The ground determined what happened to it. Now, listen, that's a huge principle for you to wrap your head around. It's a thing that every pastor wrestles with early in her ministry, and, and the more the longer you're in the ministry, you realize how true it really is. I'm not responsible for what you do with today's message. And I'm not going to lose an ounce of sleep over what you do with today's message. That's not my problem. My responsibility is to sow the seed of the Word of God into lives. Your responsibility is what you do with it. My responsibility is not to see every member of my family come to Christ. My responsibility is to sow the word of God, to live a life in such a way that they see Christ in me, that they want that, but what they do with it is their deal. I can't determine the ground. And as a pastor, this is what you have. People will come to you and they'll ask for counsel. And you'll go to the word of God, and you'll give them the best counsel you can give them. And I see all kinds of responses. I see some people that look at me and go, yep, well, okay, good for you. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to do anything. And I see other people, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Pastor. That's so awesome, that's so awesome, that's so awesome. Two days later, you wouldn't even know I said anything to them. And you get other people that will jump in there and try it for a while, and then it gets really hard, and they throw it by the wayside. I see other people that are like, thanks so much for your time, and they go and they implement it, and I watch them grow, and I watch God do incredible things in their lives and stuff like that. What was my thing? I just threw out the seed. They, what they did with it was their deal. 
not my responsibility, you know, because I, you know, and, and again, I, yeah, keep, my wife and I keep talking about this. We don't know if we're just getting old and crudgety or, or what. It, but it's kind of one of these ideas where it's like, okay, here it is. Do what you want with it. I'm not going to lose sleep over what you decide to do with it. It's your issue. I've fulfilled my responsibility. And, and we talk about this because my wife gets so frustrated. She's like, I, I, I can't get, get it through to these parents what they need to do with, the, with their five-year-olds and da-da-da, and it's just driving me nuts. Finally, she's at she's a point now. She just goes, okay, here's what you need to do. Boom, bye, I'm done. I'm not going to parent your child, though. You're the parent. Go parent. And, you know, and, I mean, that's, it's so important, and, and it's kind of like my deal. You know, I mean, I'll have somebody, and, you know, you invest time in the counseling thing, and then they, they, they call up and like, you know, I just don't think it's working for us. And we don't want you to feel bad. And da, da, da. it's like, I don't feel bad. It's your marriage. I'm going home to my wife. It's your issue. Because as a, as a, my responsibility is a sower. And again, I'm not saying you don't do it with compassion or love or mercy or grace and all those kinds of things that we're supposed to do. But listen, some of you get are so upset because somebody's not making a decision that you want them to make. Your job's to solve. Your job's to solve. Um, a second idea is this. I think there's inherent within this story an idea of how even us, as, even we as Christians, respond to the Word of God. And what I would ask you is, you, whatever it is that God's laying on your heart right now, whatever it is God wants you to do, my question to you is, how are you responding to it? Are you like that hard soil? Nope, God, that's too hard. I'm not going to do it. Just go somewhere and go talk to somebody else. No, I'm not going to do that, God. No, 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 no. That's just too hard. Don't forget it. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Isn't that the hard ground? Here's what I would Or, you know... Well, you didn't know what the church has done to me, or I had this pastor do this, or this person do this, and they called themselves a Christian, and, blah, and your heart is hard and calloused and bitter. If you're a child of God, the Bible is pretty clear in the book of Hebrews that God will break through that. Um, and that will not be fun. You know, anybody here ever busted up cement? You know, it's hard. It's hard to get through that. And, and, and sometimes God's going to have to crack your hard heart if you're his child and you're responding that way to him. Sometimes people get all excited. You know, something happens and you know, you know how it is. You know, you get, I, unfortunately, I'm not one of those emotional, happy, bubbly kind of people. You know, um, and I'm not a morning person, so it's really bad in the morning. Last night, you know, I, t- I told Alexa, I said, okay, Alexa, set, set, my, set the alarm for 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. And she said, you know that I have the ability to give you the weather? And the, uh, No, shut up. Turn on the alarm. That's all I want from you. I don't want you talking to me at 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay? Uh, and, and, you know, and, and again, you know, I don't want happy music playing in the morning. I, you know, I just... I, and again, so I'm not one of those emotional, bubbly kind of people, all right? Um, uh, and the, the reason I say this is because some people, though, that's how they respond to God's Word. They get all excited, yay, yay, and it lasts like an hour. 
And there's some people that get excited and it lasts for a while, and then it goes to, then it goes, for instance, let's get real. Um, yay, January 1, I'm going to read my Bible this year. Yay! What's today? January what? 24? Hey, January 24, Exodus, whoa, pushed aside. You know, does it make sense? It's easy sometimes to respond that way. We let life crowd stuff out. We let pressures push God aside. And before we know it, we can have that same kind of response that an unsaved person's having to, to the Bible. But what does God want? He wants that 30, 60, 100 fold. You say, are you saying that I gotta go like reach 30 people for Christ or 100 people? No, no, no. We're talking about fruit. We're talking about does your life now reflect more of the kingdom of God since you put your faith and trust in Christ? Because if you're part of the kingdom, it should and it will. And so I look at things like this. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Are you more loving than you were? This time last year or two years ago or five years ago? Are you more patient? You show more mercy? You show more peace? You show more forgiveness? Are you more generous than you were, I don't know, a month ago, a year ago, five years ago? Are you more kind? Are, are you doing things that reflect the kingdom of God, that reflect the way that Jesus lived his life here? That's what we're talking about when we talk about fruit. We're talking about there's not just a profession of faith in Christ, but there is something that is played out that shows other people I possess it and it's real. And it's making a difference. Those are kingdom people. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's telling his disciples that, look, basically when I'm gone and you go sharing the gospel with people, this is how people are going to respond. People who really want to be a part of it, are going to produce fruit. Those are the people who are a part of it. And that's the challenge for us. So the challenge for us as we go forward, as, as mature believers, as, as people who want to follow Christ, is this. And whatever it is that God's speaking to you about, what's your response? Hard-hearted? Emotional? Jump in for a little while and then bail? Or... All right, God, that's what you want me to do. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go forward and I'm going to plug away at it. And I'm going to try to be a better husband, a better father, a better uh, son, a better whatever, better employee. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to respond. Oh, let's get real. I'm going to try to respond in a kind and generous way in the issue of politics on social media. You know, and, you're, and by the way, I know some of you don't like this this Bernie Sanders glove thing. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I almost put one on this morning for church, but I thought, I don't know. Because my pastor friend put the best one I've ever seen on. Yeah. Bernie Sanders sitting in a pew in church. And the here's here's what it says. The title of it is, When the Pastor Refuses to Turn Up the Heat. I thought, yes, that's it. That's mine. That's the one that I'm going to embrace. But I mean, really, you know, we see so much on the media. Are you, are, are you posting different things than you did a year or two ago? 
Do they have a different tone, a different temperature that reflects more the kingdom of God than they did a year ago? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And, and it's so important for us to understand that because I think sometimes we get carried away with all of this. And we forget because what Jesus really is talking about here, and you're going to see this often um, in, in the teaching of Christ, is this idea of commitment. It's not just, I'm a Christian, now I'm going to go live my life however I want. In this passage, and I think consistent with the teaching of Christ, those people aren't even part of the kingdom. Yeah, but, you know, you don't understand, you know, but they, they prayed a prayer. Yeah, they prayed a prayer. But the Bible is very clear. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. When that was written to the Roman people, belief had the idea of commitment with it. There's something that came with it. It wasn't just a word of mouth thing. This is what I'm going to say with my, my words, but I'm going to live my life any way that I want. And Jesus, talking to his disciples, they, explaining this parable, says, look, let's talk about who's part of the kingdom of God. The only people who are part of the kingdom of God are the people that have professed Christ and are producing things in their life that are consistent with the kingdom of God. They're changing. And if you haven't figured it out yet, hang around here for a little while. We're all changing and we're all growing. And it's a process for all of us. And we all have a long way to go, myself included. But I'll tell you this. Things are different than they were a year or two ago. And there are some things that I'm doing really well on, and there are some things i got a lot more work to do on. But the reality of it is, I'm trying that it, more of my life reflects that which God teaches. So when God lays upon my heart certain things, then those are things I respond and try to change. That's what he's talking about. When you look at this passage over and over again, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, he basically says here, and in our culture, um, here is an auditory thing. In their culture, here meant apply. There was an application thing that went. It's kind of like when, you're, when my wife looks at me and goes, did you hear me? I heard words. What's she really saying? Is she saying, did you hear my words? She's saying, go do something about it. I want you, here's in my house, here's how I know I'm in trouble. Because she does this with five-year-olds, okay? And when she starts doing it with me, she looks at me and she says, Jim, listen to my words. (laughs) That's Gene speak for, you better go do what I'm saying because you're not listening to my words and hearing me. And, you know, and she's Southern, so she does it in such a sweet way. Just all sappy, and you want to, you know, you just want to look at her and go, yell at me, it'll be so much easier, I'll feel so much better. You know, honey, honey, listen to my words. Just, Just tell me to go do it, you know. But you follow what I'm saying? This And what Jesus says in this passage is, listen, the person who's part of my kingdom, they hear what I'm saying and they respond. And it produces fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. 
There's things that are changing in our life. They're becoming more like the kingdom that I'm from, that I represent, that I'm all about. So how are you responding? I don't, need, I, don't need to, I don't need to push the right buttons to label your thing. You know what it is. You know what God's been impressing upon your heart. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? It depends on what kind of ground your heart has. We all want to have that soil that says, okay, God, if this is what you impress on my heart and this is what you want to do, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. And I'll be obedient. I'm going to see what you can do in and through it. And we talked about that. Even testimonies this morning, we talked about how God's doing that kind of thing. So, Matthew chapter 13, here's what it is. The parable of the sower deals with how one enters the kingdom of God. Jesus explained that a true believer is not someone who only professes Christ, but someone who is faithful, obedient, and growing in Christ as well. Make sure that you are hearing and doing what God desires of you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, in this world in which it's so easy for people to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. Lord, as we look at this, we understand that you had a different meaning than what most of us apply. So Lord, help us to be those kind of people that when you speak to our hearts, we respond. And we respond in obedience and we continue to grow. And that, Lord, in this journey until the day that we enter the kingdom of heaven, we become more and more like you in all we do. So, Lord, help us. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may people see Christ in all that we do. And uh, may you use us, Lord, to sow the word of God and the seed of the word in the lives of the people that you bring us in contact with. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together.